What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Midnight Terrors podcast. I am your co-host today, Kevin or Bucky, whatever you choose to call me at this point. I'm here with Diamond and or Jason. Jason, how are you? I am doing just fine, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm, it's uh, it's good to be back, man. We uh, we had a lot of fun on last week's episode with uh, ZC Kroll and Mr. J uh, talking some pumpkin head. Yeah, that was a good one. We went we went kind of overtime on that one. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I felt that I felt that length when I started editing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but no, that was a fun one. It's good to have Mister J back and uh, uh, Zach ZC Kroll is a great guy and brand new friend of the podcast. So, shout out to both of them for being awesome and coming on the show. And uh, Jason, we got another new friend, another new guest here with us this week. Do we have a new friend? We do. I hope so. I hope he likes us. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. By the end of the episode, we'll we'll gauge him and ask him what he thinks of us. Um, but we are here with another horror author, another established writer who's out there killing it with his work. He's got some published works out there, working on more. We're here with uh, writer R. Jacob Honeybrook, also known as Roy. How are you, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Kevin and Jason. Of course, buddy. I was uh, I was happy to uh, get in touch with you via the Instagram. We've been talking for the last week or so, and uh, I'm excited. We're excited to have you on, man. Yeah, man. Excited to be here. Um, it's been, like we were talking before, man. Been a hell of a week. Got hit with a little bit of the sickness, but uh, pulled myself out of my deathbed. I said <laughs> I wasn't going to miss this, so kicked myself in the butt and got up to be here. <laughs> uh, we appreciate it, man. We're we're glad that you're. Uh, Glad that you're here. That's that's some dedication uh, to uh, make it to the podcast, so we appreciate you. Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Awesome. Well, like I said, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. We're happy to meet you and to call you a new friend of the show. Um, and uh, you picked the movie for us for this week's discussion, and we'll get into that here in a few minutes. But we always start the show with uh, the same question, which um, the base question is, what got you into horror? But Jason has coined a particular way of asking that question, so I'm going to throw it to him to start this uh, conversation. Well, yeah, definitely. First of all, we always ask what got you into horry or horry. <laughs> <laughs> what, right. what, what got you into whoring? What, what yeah, got me into horry, huh? <laughs> I mean, I know it's good money, but you know, shit. That's how. That's everybody. why. That's why Jason got into it. Exactly. <laughs> so if the pod- mouth to feed, son. <laughs> Um, <laughs> if the, <laughs> if the podcast doesn't go well, Jason's got that to, uh, to fall back on. Always hey, good to have know, a mom, side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Mom, mom always told me in school, you know, you got to have a fallback. So, you know. <laughs> oh, go um, ahead, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one of many side tangents, I'm sure. Oh, plenty. Um, <laughs> yeah. So no, uh, what originally got you into horror? Maybe it was, what was your first horror movie that you saw? Or the first one that like hooked you in, and then a second kind of part to the question is what horror movie fucked you up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, man, it probably started back when I was like just a little kid, like four or five. Um, my dad, it didn't really matter who was in the room, like if it was me who was like like I said like five years old or, or whoever, if something was on and he wanted to see it, we were gonna watch it. So one of my earliest memories is watching Friday the 13th with him out of all movies. Um, 
you know, I'm just watching Jason slaughter these people left and right. I think it was, was it Kevin Bacon that was in it? That the knife comes up through the bed and just guts him. Yep, yep right through yeah. the neck. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember that. Um, and then Jason just going on like a rampage and killing all these people. Um, and I'm just like, what is happening here? <laughs> and of course, as soon as a naked chick comes on the screen, my mom comes down and she's like, all right, Roy, time to go upstairs. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, wow, thanks. Thanks for the late save, mom. You couldn't have done this before. I was, I was traumatized by all this violence and nonsense. Um, so that was really the, one of the first memories I have. Um, I mean, I, I got a list, man. I could go on. Like, there was this one X-Files episode. Uh-oh. Now you're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, no you're problem. speaking Jason's language. Okay. Well, maybe you can help me out. I don't remember the episode or the season. I just remember there was this, like, vampire or monster thing, and it would call for, like, delivery food. And these delivery drivers would come, and it would either, like, eat them or just kill them. It was just super brutal. And uh, I... It's, um... Is that the one um, where Mulder and Scully, do you recall? Because um, there's one where um, they're actually both telling their side of the story. And it's like a, is it the, the person ordering the food or ordering the delivery? Is that the vampire or? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm thinking of a different episode. Then there's, okay. there's one episode where there's a, um, there's a kid that's a pizza delivery boy and he's a vampire. So I'm thinking of the wrong one. But I have to yeah, check this that out. Is, yeah, this is the one where the guy would call the delivery and then kill them or eat them or kill them and eat them. I didn't watch it since then. I just remember I was so scared at this episode. I was literally scared stiff. Like, I could not move by the end of it. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember my dad having to talk with me like, oh, God damn, it's just a television show. It's not going to hurt you. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, no, man. <laughs> I, I saw that on screen. It looked pretty real to me. <laughs> That's awesome, um, man. And then, uh, you know, being being a kid in like the eighties, nineties, whatever, you just knew who Freddy Krueger was. And absolutely, we, we had this old skating rink, and if anybody remembers those, um, every time I'd do a lap, they had like this arcade area off to the side, and there was always this Freddy Krueger pinball machine that would always stick out, and he had like the claw up, and he's just like glaring at me the whole time. Yes. And I, every time I'd go past it, <laughs> I would do like a big loop around it, because I didn't want any of that. I'm just like, <laughs> nope. <I'd... laughs> um, man, what else? Um, Bloody Mary, did you guys have that at your school? Oh, of course, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. There, was a, there was always that one kid that summoned up Bloody Mary, and it's just like, ugh. I wouldn't even do that today. <laughs> no, me. I've I've still to this day never done that. Jason, did you ever try any of those types of things? Um, yeah, I did. Um, I did the Bloody Mary a couple of times, and of course, nothing happened. Um, <laughs> and then um, now we will, uh, as we're talking about these games. Um, I did do Lights and Feathers stiff for the board. Um, one time at like this party. Um, and I swear to God, it actually worked. Nobody, like, nobody believes me when I say that. But, I mean, I'm not talking we lifted up, like, two feet off the ground, but, like, you know, a couple inches, and it pretty much freaked me out. So, never tried that one oh. again. <laughs> remind me, remind me, Jason, which, what, what does that game entail again? So, that one's you just have somebody lay down flat on the floor, uh-huh. um, and you kind of, you don't necessarily turn out all the lights, but, like, just really low light or candlelight. And um, everyone 
circles around the person and just puts two fingers underneath their body. Oh, um, that's right. And, and they just keep chanting. You just keep chanting light as a feather, stiff as a board, and then like lift up and like the bodies, you know, whoever's laying on the floor is supposed to be lifted up just, you know, with ease, um, kind of like levitating. Um, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Did. After that, I never played any of those games. Oh, you, you crazy <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, Braver no. man than I am. Yeah, man. My, uh, those urban legends like always intrigued me, but I was never going to try any of that stuff. I've never Mm-mm. and will continue to never use a Ouija board or do Bloody Mary or um, what was that one from? There was one from like eight years ago. I think the Charlie Charlie challenge or whatever it was called with the pencils. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-mm. Nope. Uh, <laughs> what, what that one? That was one where you like put a pencil flat down and then you put another one right on top of it. So it looks like a cross. Um, Uh And then it's supposed to like you're supposed to talk to Charlie, the the spirit or whatever. And the pencil would like spin and point to like yes or no. It was basically another version of a Ouija board. Gotcha. gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mess with any of that stuff. I have friends that tell me about going ghost hunting and all this stuff. I'm just like. I'm not trying to bring anything home with me. I'm not trying to get my soul down for eternity. Like, nope. That's all you guys tell me about, and I'll write about it. That that's yeah. where I draw the line. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to look at it. Is that um, is that kind of where your uh, your writing came from? Is your friends telling you stories and also just watching all these movies? No, um, not really. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So a lot of my writing, I wish I could give you like a definitive answer of, you know, I start here and end there. A lot of it is I'll just be in a scenario myself. Excuse me. I'll be in a scenario myself and I'll be like, boy, this is pretty scary. And then I'll go from there and kind of build a story off of that. Like, for example, my one book, April Awakening, it's about a guy lost in the woods all night. Well, how that started was, I think it was during the pandemic, probably a little bit before I started going hiking. And I'm just some schmuck. I have no idea about hiking. The first time I went (laughs) hiking, man, I had skinny jeans and vans on. And the person I am, I'm just like, well, I'm going to walk up the steepest trail here. And I do that. And by the time I get up there, I am, I am gassed. My legs are on fire. And I'm just like, I could not imagine being stuck out here at night, knowing nothing about the woods. Like that would be terrifying. And then I started thinking, well, that might make a good story. And how can I build off of that? So then you kind of bring the characters into it, bring the story into it and go off of that. Um, but as far as lo- like where a lot of my writing comes from, a lot of it would be like <clears throat> at the base life experiences. You know, if you can put a good story out there and kind of weave those horror elements into it, I feel like that's what resonates with people the most. Um, but as far as like straight up influences, um, I get a lot from like TV, movies, um, and not even necessarily horror movies. Like they definitely help. Um, more like dramas, crime dramas, things like that, even like video games, music. I kind of draw a wide range of inspiration for that. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you, yeah. brought, you brought up the term uh, influences and you talk about pulling from, uh, you know, from, from shows and, and stories that you hear. Who as uh, writers, if any, like any authors uh, or any particular books or stories uh, did you read and come upon and holy shit, Jason, you look terrifying right now. 
really? Yeah, your light turned on, and I I just saw your face pop up, and was like, oh my god, what is happening? Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, no. Uh, so Roy, what uh, what authors or particular books or stories, short stories, anything like that, uh, kind of inspired you with with your own work, if any? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of what I read is a lot more like classical literature. You know, I've read the contemporary stuff. I've read a, a few Stephen King books. Um, you know, I've read all the classics, Dracula, Frankenstein, stuff like that for sure. Um, some of the books that really resonated with me, though, we go back again to like real stories, real people. Um, I know growing up, whenever we had to read in school, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> but <laughs> the one the one book that always stood out to me was To Kill a Mockingbird because... yes. Yeah, going going back, it was just such a, a real feeling. Like that's how things were in you know the Great Depression in the South. Like real characters, real people, real story. So that one always resonated with me a lot. Um, this is going to cut tie into uh, Jason's second part of his question about something that fucked me up. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a movie, but it was this book written uh, written back in the 1700s by a guy in uh, in a French prison during the French Revolution. Um, his name's the sod and sadism comes from him. The book's 120 days of Sodom. And it is just the most disgusting book <laughs> that I've read. Like just, just going through it and reading it. I was just like, I feel like a filthy person right now. Um, it's basically about this group of aristocrats that kidnaps a bunch of teenagers and then just like sexually tortures them for 120 days. Jeez. Yeah. It's, it is messed up and, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, yeah, I could, I could see that fucking you up just a little bit. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. So that one definitely, definitely took a toll and and messed me up by the end of it. I was, but when I put it down, I was just like, well, that was a book. (laughs) Yep. That's, uh, that sounds about right. And, uh, you know, so there's, that actually makes me thinking or has me thinking like in the horror genre or like any of the scary stories out there with books and and writing, you know, there's usually like a spectrum of the type of horror that comes out. You either get the really, really intense, dark, disgusting, gritty stuff like that, or you get the lighter, more fun. uh, Well, not saying the other side can't be fun, but you know what I mean? Like the lighter, more like, maybe more maybe more like just lighthearted feel to the horror like the scares are like not there to mentally disturb you they're there to like be like a a rush of energy you know stuff like that so mm-hmm. where would you uh where would you say your writing kind of falls in that are you all over the place or do you kind of you know lean more to one side than the other you think yeah i would say i try to go for more of a psychological horror Um, a lot of what I, yeah, a lot of what I draw on, I think of what's scary in real life. Um, especially working in journalism, you know, what, what is stuff I saw in there that's scary? I mean, let's think about it. A big one I always go back to is loss, you know, loss of control in your life, loss of your mind, loss of a loved one. Um, you know, lost love with a significant other. Those are all pretty terrifying. Um, working in news, let's think, uh, car crashes you know there's almost fatal car crashes every day no fault of you know it could be no fault of your own you could be driving and somebody crosses the line boom you're dead so 
I, I kind of try to think about what scares me in the real life. And then I add in that horror element. Um, I will say I like to go more towards the mentally, distor- <laughs> mentally disturbing, more grotesque side of things. You know, I like to uh, I like to write in like the monsters, uh, the violence, the brutality, all that good stuff. But I guess I try to uh, we'll say class it up <laughs> by putting by putting this psychological aspect to it. Like, yeah, all the blood and guts and gore is great, but if we can also intertwine that into something that's going to make you think, that's going to help you relate back to your own life, um, I feel like that's where uh, true horror really shines. And a measuring stick I kind of use not just for my own work, but for movies in general, and we can talk about this in Pet Cemetery, is that if you take the horror element out of that story, can it still hold up? So let's use Pet Cemetery as an example, the book, movie, whatever. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the kid dies. Um, <laughs> if you take out people coming back from the dead, all the killing, all that stuff, at the end of the day, it's still a story about a family who lost a child and you watch the deterioration of that family. On its own, that makes a great, compelling story. So, so that's kind of my measuring stick and how I hold myself accountable to that. Sure, sure. No, that's all uh, great stuff. And um, I know uh, me and Jason were talking before with our our writer guests from last week, and the same goes for you. We'd love to uh, have you back on to do like a full interview style episode uh, someday sure. soon when we've. We'll, you know, we'll be reading through your work and we'd love to do more of like a, like a deep dive and go in more detail into to what makes you tick as a writer. So, but I'm, you know, I'm very enticed by what you just said and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be diving into your work, man. Absolutely. I appreciate that, brother. I'd love it. Awesome. Just allowed myself out real quick for being the biggest fucking dork ever when, <laughs> <laughs> when Roy was, uh, Roy said lost for the first time. Uh-huh. I was like, Ooh, I like lost. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had to my mind. Uh, and I was like, oh no, you said lost, lost. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> everything goes back to lost. No, Jason, <laughs> Jason's like six degrees to lost with everything. <laughs> hey man, it, hey, it was a great show. It did well for itself. So, oh, see, Jason, see, Jason, I knew, I knew you and Roy would would hit it off. He's such a good dude, and he loves all the stuff well, we love too. <laughs> Somebody likes it. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, million honest, viewers only... can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I only saw the first season, but my sister loves it and she has great taste. So, you know, my sister and Jason can't be wrong. So, I mean, lost <laughs> 10 out of 10. There we go. There we go. Hey, man, that's, that's a good two-week binger for you if you can get like eight <laughs> episodes in a day. But, uh, <laughs> but again, hey, she has the full series. Again. There we there go. There you go, man. No reason not to. That's awesome. Well, uh, I guess uh, we'll dive into the movie pick that um, that you brought to us this week, Roy. Um, you mentioned it before, but uh, we're talking Pet Cemetery this week, and specifically, we're talking the 2019 remake Pet Cemetery. Um, and uh, you know, as I said before, Jason and I were uh, were talking over the last few days to kind of prep for this um i think we both have different uh thoughts on it i'm sure you do as well um this was a remake that when it came out i remember people were very uh vocal about their opinions so uh i think this is going to be a good uh discussion so i want to ask you what uh now i know that when i was messaging you you said uh almost verbatim 
I kind of want to get controversial on the episode that I'm on. <laughs> and uh, you're like, I want to pick something that I feel like we could uh, like re- either debate or have a real in-depth conversation about. Um, but more specifically, mm-hmm. what, what drove you to, uh, to pick Pet Cemetery 2019 as your movie pick for us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it just kept sticking out in my head that, you know, as a remake, the crowd's going to be split immediately. People are either going to say, why are you making this? The original was great. Or people are either going to enjoy it and say like, wow, this, this is a great movie. Um, so I wanted to get controversial. I was like, well, I tend to like remakes by and large, you know, there's always exceptions. But when I was going through my head, I even wrote a list down of remakes I like compared to remakes I don't. Overwhelmingly, I tended to like a lot of the horror remakes that I thought of. Um, so when it came to picking one out, I don't know, man, Pet Cemetery, the remake, it always, it always just stuck out more to me. You know, the original is great, absolutely. But the remake, I don't know, man, there was just something about it. I think it, it hit home a little more. It was more like emotional at the core of it. Um, and we can get into that a little bit more, but I don't know. I just think it was a, uh, I think it was a really well done movie. It really captured, you know, everything Stephen King was trying to do with the original story. It wasn't a shot for shot remake. Um, they switched it up a little bit, which I can appreciate. You know, you can only make the same movie so many times. So I really enjoyed that they switched it up. Um, and talk along those same lines, you know, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Who doesn't like that? And that is by no means true to life, you know, to the book. He made a ton of changes to it. Oh, absolutely. No. Uh... Well, so, so that we know where everyone's at. Um, mm-hmm. I personally read the book, love the original. And of course, I've seen the, the remake a couple of times. Um, Bucky, have you I know you've seen the original and the remake, obviously. But did you read the book as well? I have not. It's one of the uh, Stephen King books I have never, never gotten to. Here's my, <laughs> here's my, uh, my history with trying to read Stephen King. I love his work. I love the characters that he's made. I love the stories, um, and he's a fantastic writer. But I remember during COVID, during the the pandemic, where we were really like stuck in quarantine. Um, I actually copied a friend of mine who was posting that he was going to read um, all of the Stephen King books from front to back just to like, you know, have something to do and occupy his mind. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. I've always wanted to read more Stephen King. Let me do that. And uh, I read Carrie first <laughs> and uh, Carrie okay. was Carrie was great. It was uh, probably the book I would say is better than probably any of the movie, the movie adaptations that we've gotten of that story so far. Um, so I loved Carrie. Mm-hmm. And then I got to Salem's Lot, and it was so noticeable that that was where Stephen King realized, I can put more pages in this thing. <laughs> and, like, you know, <laughs> Carrie went from, like, 200-something pages, and all of a sudden Salem's Lot was, like, 650. And I'm like, oh, my mm-hmm. Lord, there's so many characters in here. So I kind of, since then, I kind of pick and choose what I've read with Stephen King. And I've always wanted to read Pet Cemetery, but I have not yet uh, gotten around to it, unfortunately. Well, like listening, listening to Stephen King um, on like some podcasts and reading, reading some like interviews with him and stuff. Um, I know there was a period um, around Cujo and I don't know how close Cujo and Pet Cemetery were together. You know, we'd have to look it up, but um, definitely around that era when he did Cujo, um, he was when he was doing his writing, he was so fueled on whiskey 
and cocaine. <laughs> yep. That he doesn't even remember writing Cujo. Yep. Like yep. he'll come out saying he's like, I I had to read it because I don't remember writing this thing at all. And I was just like, <laughs> whoa. And that's, that that is where you see like, kind of in that era. That is where you start seeing like his books like kind of doubling, tripling in size and and everything. So yeah. Um. But yeah, that's just a fun little fun little bit. So but you, Roy, I'm so, you've probably read Pet Cemetery. I have, yeah. I thought, you know, you would think writing horror, I've read every Stephen King book. I've only actually ever read Pet Cemetery and The Shining. Um, I have Misery on my shelf, but I haven't got to that yet. Um, hey, you want to talk about controversial? I love his movies, man. Maximum Overdrive. That was one of the first <laughs> movies I saw. That is a badass movie, man. ACDC, trucks killing people, get out of here. Yeah. I, that's and, another. And you can't go wrong with Emilio Estevez. <laughs> All right. How could you? Oh my god! And I was like Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> that's another. I not love it. That's another uh, another movie that I've uh, been meaning to get to, but I've seen so many clips of it. I've actually been to a convention where they had the Green Goblin head on top, like on display, and uh, I was so like, cool. I need to, I need to watch this thing. Uh, Jason, just to throw it back to what you were saying earlier. Um, uh. With the with his writing years, uh, Cujo was nineteen eighty one, and Pet Cemetery okay. was two years after that. So Pet Cemetery was definitely in. Uh, yeah, so that would have been in. Yeah, and and I think uh, content wise, I think that was kind of his his most edgy work. Like it was really uh, controversial and uh, pretty sick shit in there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he actually I heard before. There's another another story of his called the Tommy Knockers. And he, yeah, Tommy Knockers is good. Yeah, and he wrote that I think around that same time, and he actually says that's his least favorite book. <laughs> so I don't know uh, if that was you know part of the the wake up call or or what, but um, yeah, no, eighties King Man was uh, was just a not, was just on another level. He's a great writer nonetheless, but you know anything he puts out is is awesome. But eighties Stephen King is just like untouchable with the creatures and the characters that that he made in that. And, um, you know, with, with, uh, with Roy, what you were talking about with, uh, the film adaptations, um, I don't know, man, like even a, even a bad Stephen King adaptation is kind of entertaining. (laughs) So, you know, like, uh, Oh yeah. And then remind me, uh, Roy and, and Jason did is maximum overdrive. The one that Stephen King directed. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he caught a lot of flack for that, man. Yep. I think that too. He said he was on a bunch of whiskey and cocaine, but hey man, is there other is there any other way to write and direct? Like, come on. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so Jason, you also read the book of Pet Cemetery then? Yes, yes. Um oh. I read it um I read it probably about maybe like ten or fifteen years ago. I was I was like in my early to mid twenties when I read it. Now I had seen, I had seen the movie beforehand. Um, and, and I really had this like kind of year long period where I was like hardcore into reading. I, like I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, and there were definitely a couple of Stephen Kings in there and, and pet cemetery was one of them. Nice. And, uh, so as a, as a precursor to diving into talking about the remake, because it's hard to, uh, talk remakes without comparing them to their original counterparts it's just you know something we all end up doing um and i know roy i know you said you're a a pretty decent fan of of remakes um 
and I'm I'm kind of right there with you for the most part. You know, there's there's always going to be good and bad ones. Um, but uh, Jason, I want to throw it to you. What's your What's your take on uh, on remakes? Um, there are a few that I like. Um, I don't know. I find that they're very few and far between. I like. I hate to be that guy that's like. You know, there's always that one guy in the crowd that's like, oh, the book was better than the movie. Well, duh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you have a much longer format and you have a lot more time to, you know, flesh things out, flesh, flesh characters out, you know, things like that. So it's, it's, it's harder for any book to, like, squeeze that into an hour and a half, two hours. So, like, so it's not easy. Um, and there's always that one guy in the crowd that's like, yeah, but the book was better. Um, I try not to be that guy. I try to take, like, the book and the movie and take them as two separate things, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I apply that as well to uh, like remakes and originals, like with films. Um, now I am definitely a little bit harder on, on movie remakes because a lot of times when they take something that I'm very passionate about and I love so much, it's hard for me not to pick it apart. Um, sure. but I mean, just, I mean, just off of the top of my head, you know, there's some great ones that, um, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, um, which that was, uh, what, late 80s, early 90s, um, uh, was really good. Uh, remake of Night of the Living Dead. Um, and uh, I really, as much as I did not expect it, I love the Evil Dead remake. And you yes. know... Yep. You know me, Bucky, <laughs> like I am a hardcore Evil Dead fan. Yep. So if they didn't do that one right, I was going to be really pissed about it. Um, mm -hmm. But I was super happy with that one. Um, you know, so there there are some really well done ones. And then, you know, for the most part with remakes. Um, oh, I even liked, uh, I really liked the um, the first Texas Chainsaw remake, the one with Jessica Biel. Yep. That's oh, yeah, that was good. Two, early 2000 um so and and i love the texas chainsaw massacre and you know i think we talk about it in our in our first episode that was a movie that fucked me up hardcore yep. um mm -hmm. and so w once i got ever being scared to death of it it's become <laughs> one of my favorite movies yep um so i you know i had really high expectations for that one too and and was pleasantly surprised so you know, typically remakes, again, I try not to be as hard on them as I am. I try to kind of go in with an open mind, but there's some of them that I just can't, I can't get on board with. Sure. And, but, uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween being one of our favorite remakes, uh, Jason. There you go. Oh, I'm speaking my language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. We, uh, we thought Rob Zombie did a great job on, on both of his, uh, Halloween films. Um, we're also. Well, and it. It's kind of funny, too, because actually the first time I saw um, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, I remember walking away from it, and I was just kind of like, eh. Yeah. And then, like, I didn't I didn't hate it, but I was just kind of like, eh. Um, and then it was maybe a year later, I went back and watched it again, and I was like, wait a second, this, this is actually really fucking good. I do like this one. Like, so um, that was one where I was kind of unsure about it at first, but on a rewatch, uh I love it now. I still get into it now. Same. I, I was the exact same way with it. The first time I saw Rob Zombie's Halloween too, I was just like, man, what was that? <laughs> and then yep. years later, I went back and I watched it again. I'm like, this is actually pretty cool. Like 
it really gets in Michael Myers' head. Half the time he's walking around like without a mask on. He's just some crazy serial killer. Yep. Like, yeah, right. this actually is pretty cool. And you know, yep. Halloween 2018, which um which we love, um, gets a lot of credit for kind of showing the aftermath of the trauma that comes from something like that. But Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween too, got there first, man, with uh with that version of Laurie Strode, like having to go yeah. to therapy and having these like PTSD attacks after the Michael mm-hmm. Myers attack. Um, and I just, I think it's a pretty surreal Halloween movie that will, pro- <laughs> that we'll probably never see again. We'll never see that type of Halloween movie. Um, it's just, it's just so unique and, and so different that I, I can't help, but, <laughs> but love it. Um, and then, uh, so that kind of ties, you know, beautifully into our discussion on the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery. So uh, let's uh, let's dive on in. So yeah, this this remake came out uh, about four years ago now, um, and uh, just to kind of dive on in, what's what's everybody's uh, overall thoughts as we as we dive into the the plot more afterwards? Roy, what's your what's your take on this? Uh, I love this movie. Uh, like I said, when I was going back, thinking of stuff that we could talk about, this one kept coming into my mind. Um, I feel like there's a, a lot of substance to it. I feel like it deviates from the original story in a good way. And um, yeah, overall, I thought it was a, a solid movie, a good movie, and I was happy to watch it again. Awesome. Jason, what you got? <laughs> I've been kind of eagerly anticipating this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is one, especially, you know, like I said, I watched, I watched it again last night. I don't, I don't hate it. It's just kind of eh for me. Um, and as, as we kind of dive into the story a little more, I'll, I'll kind of tell you where my eh moments were. <laughs> um, now there are some deviations from the original story, which I didn't mind. And I thought for the movie were good choices. Um, uh, which again, we'll talk about that too. Um, but it's, it's something that I'll watch. Like, I, I don't hate it. Like, you know, when AMC Horror Fest comes along or if I'm, you know, passing by on TV, I'm like, yeah, I'll stop and watch it. It's it's not a, it's not a terrible movie at all. But, um, you know, um, Pet Cemetery was the original, um, was one of my first that really scared the hell out of me. Um, so I have a lot of love for that movie. And there's a lot of really clever things that they did in the original. Um, and I, I think some of I think some of the scariest moments of the original for me were pieces that were either not necessarily left out, but maybe glazed over kind of like they just kind of just kind of skip through it really quickly. And I'm like, wait, that's kind of like that's kind of the most terrifying shit in the movie. And you just like glazed over it in 30 seconds. Um, but but like I said, overall, I like it. I, I'm not going to hate on it or tell anybody not to watch it. Um, I, I think it's decent. Um, but yeah, cool. Not, not my favorite remake for sure. (laughs) Uh, so then for me, um, I am a big fan of the original pet cemetery, uh, from the eighties. I don't have probably as much affinity for it as Jason does. Cause Jason kind of grew up watching it. I didn't see it until much later. Um, and I, but I still love it to this day. Um, and I go back and I watch it and like, there are some room or there is some room for improvement when it comes to the original. 
Uh, and there's some stuff that I actually think this remake did better than that. And they definitely enhanced it um, with its story and with the uh, the visuals of the movie. Um, I definitely think that there could be some stuff that's a little bit tightened, you know, just around the edges just to kind of execute it a little bit better. But overall, man, I... Uh, I hadn't seen this 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 movie since theaters 2019. Uh, funny enough, I went and saw this in theaters the weekend that Avengers Endgame came out. <laughs> so everybody was at the theater watching Avengers, and I'm like one of like five people in the Pet Cemetery remake. Um, and at the theater uh, to yourself. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, I enjoyed it then, and um, I I enjoy this remake now, honestly. Um, but we'll get more into specifics where I have, you know, little tiny nitpicks here and there. Um, I guess uh, a good place to... It's funny, it's funny that... You, it, sorry, it's funny that you say that, Bucky. Like, um, uh, what's, uh, what, what's the Avengers before Endgame, uh, Age of Ultron? Uh, Infinity War. Infinity War. Okay, so it was, it was either... I think it was Infinity War, but... Um, uh, Mad Max Fury Road came out that same mm. weekend, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge, huge, huge Mad Max fan. Uh, the Road Warrior is still one of my favorite movies of all oh, time. Yeah. Um, so, like, when I was at the, I was going to the theater, and it's like a packed house. Like, I had to stand in line for like 15 minutes just to get a ticket. And of course, everybody was going to see Avengers. And then when I walked out of Fury Road, I was like, "You idiots!" <laughs> <laughs> Fury Road's like the best thing ever. And I, I think actually the following weekend after everybody got Avengers out of their system, I think Mad Max Fury Road actually uh, took over Avengers like that following weekend. But um, but yeah, when I walked out of Mad Max, I was like, "You losers!" Yeah. <laughs> and there were and there, there were it was like three people in the theater with me, and it, like I loved every second of it. But yeah, it's just funny that you said that because that's kind of the same thing happened to me. That's funny. Um... So yeah, I guess uh, we can dive on into the plot. We can start at the beginning. Um, for the most part, it's the exact same setup as as the original. You know, we have this we have this family, uh, all new cast, uh, moving into a new house. They have their their neighbor uh, Judd, played by John Lithgow, who's been this longtime resident of the town that they live in. And uh, my freaking man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, are you a big John Lithgow fan? I love John Lithgow. <laughs> oh, I love John Lithgow, man. Um, he's perfect. Uh, Bucky, I know you'd never watched Dexter, but uh, he was in uh, season three of Dexter. He was a serial killer, and he was freaking fantastic. Um, okay. Third Rock from the Sun was always really funny. Um, I remember that show. <laughs> and he is the freaking villain ever in Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like John Lithgow quite a bit as well. Um, the first time I saw his name, though, was him playing Lord Farquaad in Shrek. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but honestly, I would say my favorite role of his would be, uh, I really like him in that first um, newer Planet of the Apes movie, The Rise of the Planet of the Apes, where he's the the dad with, like, dementia or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's probably. Yeah, I, I forgot he was even in that. Yep. Yeah. No, he's stellar in that. Uh, but he's our new Judd here, um, and uh, you know, right out of the bat, right out of the gate, uh, the first thing that that I would say is an improvement on this that I kind of touched on uh, that this remake does better than the original is the visuals. Mm. Um, yeah. 
And Roy, I'd love yeah. to love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, this movie looks amazing with the way it's shot and the color scheme and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I actually had that in my notes, just the look and feel of it. It's, you know, it feels like just this dreary New England town and there's just like an, an ominous, is that a word, ominous? It's very ominous, yeah. we'll say. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, just you're the writer, sir. <laughs> yeah right i should know these things <laughs> um yeah just the way it's shot um and we'll, we'll get into this but just like the way the pet cemetery looks um the way they see the kids doing that um you know that procession with the with the pet in the beginning um just everything about the way it's shot yeah it just gives off this eerie feeling like an impending sense of doom like uh, what is going on in this place um talking about judd real quick how iconic though was the original judd i mean Played by the guy that did Herman Munster in that voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to go down that road. Sometimes dad is better. Yes. Dad is better. Yeah. Sit on the porch, watch the night come in. <laughs> we'll all have to do. No, uh, we'll all have to do the rest of the podcast in Fred Gwynn impressions. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's uh but no, he he is a great judge, and that. Um, when I saw that they got John Lithgow, I was like, because Judd is such like, for me, just like such an iconic character. And it, mm-hmm. like, he did such a good job in the original that I was like, oh man, who are they going to play him? And then I thought it was John Lithgow. And I was like, I'm down. All right. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He didn't disappoint. I think this one played a, played a great Judd too. Um, yep. And then going back to the way it was shot. Yeah. Um, like I said, yeah, it just seems... Very, very well done. Um, obviously, I'm not a cinematographer. The best I can do is I did some photojournalism. Uh, oh, so, cool. yeah, just, just the way it looks has a very a very cool feel to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listen, bro, you can't send nudes to your girlfriend and call yourself a photojournalist, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jason. You uh, that take, There's a lot of work that goes into that, you know? <laughs> yeah, you got to have a right? Plus, Jason, we already we already we already know what your career is, so that would be you that's doing that, my friend. Right? <laughs> yeah, man. You wouldn't believe my in-home studio setup. I agree with both of you guys. I agree with both of you guys, though. I do. I do think that the camera work, the lighting, um, the set design, all of that is done really well visually. Um, I have no issue with the movie at all. Um, and speaking of that funeral procession uh procession of, of the kids you know taking the, the first animal up to the cemetery um i remember seeing that in the trailer and i was like oh that's creepy as shit it like, is. <laughs> um, so yeah like and and that was kind of one of the cool choices you know not something that they you know showed in the original but yeah i'm 100 I'm percent on i think i think it shot well um i i think the lighting is good set works good i, I mean i I can't really say anything negative about it really visually. Yeah. And I don't know if I would list this as an improvement, but going back to John Lithgow, because obviously Fred Gwynn is so iconic as the original Judd, but rewatching it, John Lithgow's version of Judd is way more sympathetic than the original is. Like, I actually kind of feel bad for this guy. Um, yeah. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Later on, when when he um, introduces the the patriarch of the family to the pet cemetery, wanting to bring back church and um, wanting to bring back the dead child, like he just 
cares for this family. And like, I'm like, man, I feel so sorry for this guy. You know, they give him the story, you know, he talks about how he lost his wife and how he's, you know, kind of grown and been raised in the town. And, um, I don't know, John Lithgow's, uh, version of Judd is just very, uh, a lot less ominous than, uh, than Fred Gwynn's, I would say. So not an improvement, but definitely, yeah, definitely. A, a different interpretation on it, I would say. For sure. Yeah, he almost seems like a uh, like a lonely old man. You know, in the original, he still had his wife there. He was just kind of like this guy warning people about the pet cemetery. But yeah, this one kind of humanizes him a little bit more. There really is that, you know, sense of caring, like you were saying, between him and, you know, not only the family, but specifically for little girl Ellie, that uh, that he really wants to help them out and, you know, try to bring the church back. Yeah. And uh, speaking of recasting, how do we feel about uh, Jason Jason Clark as Lewis here? Oh, Jason Clark. <laughs> I, have, I have a love-hate relationship with the man. Um, I think he's a pretty decent actor. However, there's just something about his face that makes me want to punch it. <laughs> like if you, if you're just seeing somebody just like just like I, I don't know why but I have this overwhelming urge to punch you in the fucking face um, but um, but I, I think for this role because he he does and, and part of like his face that I, I kind of say that I don't like he he can very easily look super evil like mm. you just look at him and like you don't really uh, usually if you were to just look at him, you wouldn't think uh, like a protagonist role, like, Oh, this, this guy's like really sweet, nice looking. Like he's still, he's just kind of evil looking. Just he's got resting evil face, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, like I, I've seen him in a couple of things. Like I've seen some stuff that I like, some stuff that I don't like. We won't talk about Terminator. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, you kind of, uh, you kind of, no, I mean, I, you kind of hit the nail on the head for me um, on in some ways. I actually like Jason Clark as an actor, uh, but I think he gets stuck with some trash roles <laughs> in his career, mm-hmm. like or not even yeah. just trash roles, but like just not good movies for him to work with. Because what I go to is, yes, Terminator Genesis is like not that great of a movie, but he's not bad in it. He just got a kind of stupid role. Um, and then with, uh, the other thing I go to with him is Winchester. Uh, I don't know if either of you watched that one or not, but he, uh, Oh God, that movie. I think I started watching that one. Yeah. He's, Uh, you don't want to finish it. He's (laughs) okay. Yeah. If I remember it was pretty boring. Yeah. That movie goes off. Yeah. It was boring. goes off the rails and becomes very cheesy, but he's awesome in it. Uh, the movie is just not a good vehicle for him, but I actually really, this is probably it's my, not a good movie, yeah. yeah, this is probably my favorite role of his. I actually kind of like him quite a bit as Lewis in this one. Um, yeah. So Roy, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on, uh, Jason Clark here? Yeah. I mean, I thought he did a, uh, I did a good job playing the dad. Um, I, like you were saying about his face, his voice too, is he originally, American? Does he have some kind of accent? Like his voice was very, it stood out to me. Like, um, yeah, very... I want to say, I don't, he, I don't think he's American. I, I don't know yeah. what he is, but I, he might be British. I don't know, but um, he is. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's American. It says uh, Australian. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it really, like, that voice, that face, I don't know, it really stood out to me. Like, um, I don't, I'm terrible with actors and filmography. I don't know if he's ever played, like, some, like, old burned-out detective, but I just kept thinking, like, <laughs> that's kind of what he reminded me of more than a surgeon. Like, I could see him, you know, yeah. on some grimy street being like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But yeah, as the father figure here, I thought he I thought he did a did a good job for sure. Yeah, he's he's pretty awesome here. Um there are times where I'm definitely not on his side. I think he needs to be way more gentle in speaking to his daughter about death. There was that scene where uh he and uh Rachel are are talking to their daughter about about death because uh the the daughter asks like, "Why don't animals live as long as people?" And he just wants to put it out there. And she's what the daughter is like just turning nine. And I'm like, slow down, dude. <laughs> you know, the the wife's like, you know, we yeah, like, yeah. He, he's like, a, he's like a doctor. And, uh, you know, so he's trying to come at it from a, a pure, like kind of scientific standpoint. He doesn't want to say, oh, well, they go to the angels or whatever like he doesn't want to sugarcoat it for which you know he's a he's a medical professional so i, I get that but it's like I, i'm with you bucky i'm like dude she's like nine like yeah I'm, like not angels and, and shit like just something <laughs> like, like be be easy on her man um and yeah you know he and the he and he and rachel even kind of get into it a little bit over it because she's trying to be like gentle and stuff with with the daughter and and he just seems very non-interested in that. Yep. You know, I'll take, I'll take his side on this one, man. Um, you know, yeah, she's only nine and stuff, but at, at some point you kind of got to lift that veil. I know, you know, for me growing up, I had a lot of older relatives. Like my dad was an only child. So I had a lot of, you know, I called the aunts and uncles. I never knew what a great aunt was or a great uncle was. And, you know, they're all born 1900 to 1920. So, you know, by the time the 90s, early 2000s roll around, they're all dying. You know, my mm-hmm. parents can't say like, oh, you know, they went to sleep or whatever. Like they had to be straight up and be like, you know, they they died. They're not coming back. Um, so coming from that end of things, I can see why, you know, he would want to get that out there. He wouldn't want to, you know, tell her all this sugar-coated stuff because at the end of the day, sooner or later, she's going to have to learn, you know, whether she's nine or 13 or whatever is there really ever a good time to to tell a child about death and all that you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah like well i think i think part of what they're trying to kind of drive home with it too is um uh you know basically be- because that's his thought process and everything like that like he's he's very analytical so he's not going to believe in any kind of uh you know god or angels or sure ghosts or spirits and i think they're trying to kind of like drive that aspect home a little bit that like hey he, he doesn't just buy into shit like he's he's thinking about it and like i mean i know like because i i have two daughters that are seven years old um mm-hmm. and you know like yeah i get these i get these questions too and i try to be like you know very like matter of fact about it like yeah this person's gone like they're not coming back everybody dies like you know someday everybody's gonna die like you know but i also like you know put it to them in a way that they're not going to be like like scared of it you know what i'm saying <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not going to, you know i'm not telling them well once you die there's nothing after that you don't ever come back you're never gonna see you right? like, you know, like <laughs> welcome you know, to reality not, yep yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not saying that kind of stuff to them but 
you know, there's an easier way to break it to a child. Like, <laughs> well, right, right in that moment in the in the film, actually, when they have that conversation about how to tell that to a child, uh, Roy, that's where I kind of start to realize that the original Pet Cemetery, while a fun movie, is kind of just a not a creature feature, but like a, a more like conventional horror story. It was in that moment that I kind of realized there's parts in the movie where I think to myself, like, this is a little bit long and a little bit drawn out. There's a lot of, like, you know, just scenes of, of people talking and, and uh, you know, really quiet moments you're like talking, this. You're talking about the original? No, I'm talking about the remake. Oh, okay. Go ahead. But the So what I'm saying is that the original... I look back and it's, you know, a fun, compact, you know, kind of spooky movie and it's a lot of fun. It's in this moment in the remake where Rachel and Lewis have that conversation about how to talk about death to a child that I realized that, oh, this is where this this version of the story is a little bit more focused on the realism of death in that way. And because we come back to that a lot throughout, even when... uh when the child is resurrected, it focuses a lot on the child being like, mommy doesn't want me here, you know, like, and the mom's like, no, she's dead. We buried her. Um, and that, you know, is like a heavy theme throughout. You've got the mom accepting it. You've got Lewis saying, I wasn't ready to let her go. I need more time. Uh, so I, I think this movie's actually a pretty, uh, I don't want to say darker, but a more like somber, deeper look at the death side of things than the original. So I would say that's another improvement, yeah. another improvement of that I see in here. Well, to, for why, sure. While we're and early I, on, go ahead, Bryce. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say that, that, that for sure. And I think that's what it made it stand out to me a little bit more was just the relationships and it. they thought they seemed more at the forefront, you know, not only really the relationship between father and mother, but also that father-daughter relationship, you know, not just talking about death, but like the other scenes in the movie where it shows them, you know, just being a father and daughter. I, I feel like those scenes went a long way in just building that relationship and making it feel that much more grounded than like you were saying in the original one where it was more almost like a creature feature. Yeah, for sure. So while we're early on, here's here's gripe number one for me. <laughs> um is of course so at the beginning of the movie um you know he he goes to work at a, a local university just kind of as a kind of a school doctor school nurse type situation for a university um because he's looking for something a little slower like not working in the ER and being like hectic he's like trying to slow things down so he can spend more time with his family but um Pascal mm. so Pascal is a student that gets hit by a car off screen um, and it basically the car crash like basically caves his skull in um, he's he's brought to the doctor and there's no way he's gonna save his kid like half the kid's head's gone his brain's hanging out there's nothing he can do for him um, and so Pascal dies um, but Pascal in the original and in the book is way more fleshed out. Like I feel like Pascal because Pascal is, is the one that originally is trying to tell, um, tell him about the pet cemetery. He's like, listen, you don't want to do this. Like you don't want to go up there. 
he's warning him on many occasions like this is not something you want to get involved with this is not something that's uh you know magical like this is some evil shit that you're getting yourself into and so pascal definitely in the book in the original i feel like was way more fleshed out and had a lot more screen time whereas in this one i mean i think he's on i mean i think he's on screen for maybe like a minute and a half total like you see him like at one point just saying you know no don't go up there or you see him one time say the ground is stonier um and he appears to him like one other time and that's like that's like it so yeah that that's definitely a valid point. Now, now you say that, it stands out to me. He was a pretty integral part of the book in the original. He was in it a lot more. Um, yeah, he really just shows him where it is, and then he like appears, what, like two more times. Yeah, I think... While yeah, we're on it, that, though, how, how great was that scene where they bring him in from being hit by a car? Like, how gruesome that was? Oh, I thought oh yeah, did a yeah. really good job with the effects on that. Yeah, uh, the part where the nurse looks over and his, you close yeah. up on his brain throbbing in his head mm. just pulsing and she's like i can see his brains and she has to leave yeah. i'm Ugh. like yeah it's a it's a grueling uh scene there but yeah i think he shows up after his death scene there's a little scare with him where he sits up and says the ground is uh you know it's it's soured don't go there then there's the dream right. sequence and he walks him to there and says the ground is soured don't go there when when uh Lewis is about to bury Ellie later on after she dies. He shows up again for a second and Lewis just kind of shoes him away. And then there's one last scare with him that I can remember. Uh, and it's when Rachel and little Gage have left to go to her mom's house or their parents' house. And uh, little Gage is in the, the, the cradle going, uh, Pascal, Pascal, and you see yeah. like him kind of becoming a harbinger of doom for them as well. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was one of the things too. So we get we got Pascal dies. Um, you know, the doc feels bad about it, and then um, shortly afterwards, um, Ellie, uh, the daughter, you know, has a cat and her. Or, the cat's name is famously church yep um and uh church is uh basically where they live you know there's a highway that's got a lot of these big trucks coming through like really fast and so um judd the next door neighbor even even warns you know the family about it he's like you know you probably don't want to let the kids play out front you know watch your cat like you know because these truckers come through here like not even paying attention and going like super fast um uh, so very easy for something bad to happen. So uh, Judd finds Church, their cat, dead. And, of course, Ellie um, does not know. They hide it from her because he doesn't want her to be upset. And um, he's even contemplating telling her, you know, uh, that he just ran away or, or something to that effect. And then um, Judd comes around and uh basically tells lewis he's like hey listen i want to show you something so lewis thinks that judd is taking him to the pet cemetery that they've already seen um and it's just you know a cemetery where kids in that area have just always buried all of their pets and judd even says you know i've got one of my pets here you know his dog um but they actually go past the pet cemetery and kind of higher up onto this hill or into the mountain 
where they live and that's where Judd tells him to go ahead and bury the cat there and so he goes ahead and he buries Church and then he even asks Judd on the way back Judd doesn't even tell him what he's doing yeah um he even asked him he says he said what did we just do yeah. um and he and, and I think his, his answer is like Ellie loved her cat right and yep. he's like yeah and I'm like and and that's about where he leaves it and then of course um the the same night or the next morning um church who was very clearly dead is now live and back in the house yeah and i gotta um, and i gotta say before we go past it uh favorite visual of the movie here is actually the set design of the actual land beyond the pet cemetery um absolutely i love the way it's misty and they're walking through water they have to go up this like stone staircase to get to the soil um yeah rewatching that favorite like favorite scenes of the movie are in the soiled ground and what about the sound too whenever they're going up there you hear like all these whispers all yep. these weird sounds it's just like man what a creep factor for sure yeah amazing and, and before we go any farther let me ask you guys what do you think of the new church like that old church as that English cat or whatever it was, the gray cat. Oh man, mm-hmm. that thing was so cool with the big eyes, the squish yep. face. I like this church too. He was different. Uh, he definitely looked meaner, mm-hmm. kind of like in a way, like he, he had that look about him, um, especially when he comes back and he's all matted up and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I got to say, I, I love the original gray church. He was awesome. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. I was going to say that's, that's a tiny gripe for me to like, um, I think I even said this to um <laughs> I think I said this to Bucky um last night or the night before um like I remember always waking up in the middle of the night um where they would have like those those movie collection like infomercials on um yeah. and they had this like uh Criterion collection or what whatever I can't remember the studio that made it but um mm-hmm. they they had this collection and the one shot that like they always showed was the old school church when his eyes are glowing and he hisses the first time, like looks yes. evil as shit. Um, yep. So that, that was just like, <laughs> I would wake up in the middle of the night and randomly see fucking church. <laughs> yep. at the screen. Church, I'll go back to bed. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to go back to bed now. Yep. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, like, I'm right there with you, Jason. I, I like this church. Uh, but I definitely have probably more affinity for that original uh, church cat. Um, this one looks better in terms of it actually looks a little bit more like an undead cat. The other one just kind of had looked the exact same, but had glowing eyes. <laughs> uh, this for one, sure, I, yeah. I think, actually looked more like a dead cat that had been hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I did like that aspect of the the new one is that, yeah, the the... The new church definitely, when it comes back, looks like way more rough and gnarly. Um, and they even make it a point where, you know, Ellie's uh, trying to brush him. Um, and she's like basically tearing chunks of his skin out or his fur yeah. out. And he's got all these sticks wrapped up in him and he's got cake blood on him. And like basically she can't get him clean. Um, uh, so, yeah, when he comes back, he definitely does look more evil. Um, like you said, Bucky, like, yeah, the original, like, it just kind of, other than it, it, you know, hissing and the glowing eyes, it didn't really look yep. like kind of undead. So I did like the, I did like kind of the, the, the way that they 
did the new church. Like, I think the old, like, Black Cat look was cooler, but this one, like, did, you know, have kind of more of an attitude or more of, like, a zombie-like feel to it, which I did think was good. Yeah, and there's a scare in here that I completely forgot about that actually kind of got me pretty good, which is when, uh, right after church is resurrected, so we've got our undead cat now, um, Ellie has gone to bed and... Lewis is kind of just watching church around the house and church goes down to the cellar after uh, either scratching somebody or just, you know, being pissy and the church and church goes down to the cellar and or the basement. And um, we see a dark like doorway and we hear like a dripping sound and like this, uh, like this weird, like wheezing creepy sound and we we assume that it's church you know hiding in the dark and lewis turns around and uh church is on the stairs and we're still hearing that noise from the darkness so that was a moment that got me that like oh shit what what the hell's out there um and of course it leads to that amazing sequence where he goes out finds himself in the woods again with um with the uh the the run over college kid you know kind of warning him off from the pet cemetery again. Uh, and yeah, that was the scare that got me pretty good. Was that, that sound in the darkness. Yeah. So before, before we get too far to, um, gripe number two, uh, <laughs> or maybe this is three, um, Zelda. So, Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> so Zelda is, um, the, the wife's or, or the mother, uh, Ellie's mother, uh, Rachel. Uh, yeah, it's Zelda, Ra- Zelda's Rachel's sister. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Zelda is Rachel's sister, and she, Zelda has, I think, I think they say it's spina bifida, but it's 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 just rare, you know, spinal disease that basically um, causes her body and her limbs and her back not to like grow correctly, and she looks like really gross and so rachel as a kid very young uh, you know probably like six seven years old her parents would leave her to take care of her sister which like that should not be like any kid's freaking job hell no um especially leaving her with this like critically ill sister not to mention that the sister looks just scary as fuck (laughs) um (laughs) and um yeah so that was another thing. So Zelda's a pretty large part of the original movie um, because basically as all this stuff is going down, like, you know, uh, losing church and then, you know, later we'll get into the, you know, uh, Ellie getting hit, losing Ellie. But um, Rachel's having all these flashbacks. Uh, like it's just kind of bringing back the trauma um, from when she was a child um, about having to care for Zelda and what eventually happens is, is that she's supposed to be caring for Zelda and her parents told her always carry the food up to her. Um, don't use it. They had a dumb waiter that would go upstairs. They would tell her, don't use the dumb waiter to send that food up to Zelda. You always have to take it up there by yourself. Um, and so what happens is she uses the dumb waiter and Zelda ends up falling, falling down the shaft trying to get her food. Um, and, you know, gets all gnarled up and, and dies while um, Rachel's taking care of her. 
Um, so Zelda, I feel like, was kind of another thing. Like, those scenes with Zelda in the original scared the living piss out of me. Like, she looked <laughs> so, like... For sure. I mean, she, she looked so fucked up and, like, just seeing... And um, I've talked about this before on the show. I do not like body dysmorphia shit. Like, when people are mm. bent the wrong way and doing all kind of crazy backward arms and shit like that, like, I do not like that shit. Um, and that's, you get a lot of that with Zelda, like in the original, just kind of seeing her all gnarled up and twisted around and shit. Um, and, um, even Zelda in the original, like there's, there's several scenes where she's calling for Rachel because she wants food or whatever. And so she's like, Rachel, Rachel, <laughs> like, just, it, like, it's just like, it's disturbing as hell. And like being a, a little kid, like dealing with that, that would scare the living shit out of me um so zelda and and they do touch on zelda in the new one but again i feel like it was a piece that was it was kind of glossed over like they yeah they show a little bit of it but it's not as big of a piece of the movie as it is in the original and and again i think with the original those are some of the scariest parts to me is are the parts with zelda so that was another thing that i was i was just kind of like Man, they should have they should have gone more into that or spent more time on it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I had seen it when I was younger, but I didn't really remember much of it. So when I watched mm-hmm. it again uh, as an adult, I didn't really remember much. Didn't really remember much. And then when the Zelda scene hit, I was just like, "Oh shit!" Right? This is what I was afraid of when I was a kid. Like this Zelda they yeah. have. Oh man, still gives me the creeps, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the uh, the Zelda scenes in the 1989 classic are definitely some of the scariest moments in that film. Um, the uh, the whole scene that probably still gets me the most is uh, Zelda hiding in the corner after calling Rachel upstairs, and then she like scurries out of the corner and says, "I'm going to twist your spine like mine, and then you'll never get out of bed again." Um. What- that and then and then when Gage at the at the end of the original, uh, you know, when Rachel sees Gage, he's like standing there in that creepy suit with the top hat on, but it's like it's like Gage's body, but then Zelda's face on him, and that shit's creepy as fuck too. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot um, about that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I uh, my thoughts on the Zelda in this version, and Roy, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. My thoughts in this take on Zelda in this one is I feel like, yes, it's not as scary or as prevalent like we were talking about with um, with uh, the runover uh, college kid, but I feel like they still got the gist of it where Zelda's whole role in the story is kind of what defines Rachel's outlook on death and how to relay that to her, to her child because she's traumatized by what happened to Zelda. And so that kind of defines how she approaches the topic of death. And I feel like they still got that here and it's crucial in the 89 version as well, but in the 89 version, going back to Roy, what you and I talked about where the 89 version is a little bit more of a creature feature. It's uh, in that Mm -hmm. they kind of, the scares are more prevalent there because that's more of the type of movie and feel that they're going for with the original, as opposed to here where it's kind of a more somber take on it. 
Sure, he took the words out of my mouth on that one. Um, obviously, in original, she's creepier. Um, I think, too, you know, as as we grow up, what we see when we're 25, 30 is not going to be the same scare factor as when we see it when we're, you know, 10, 11. So you have to take that into account, too. Um, so, yeah, that being said, the Zelda in the 89 one definitely was scarier, more prevalent. Um, but, yeah, I think that she didn't need to play as big of a role in this one because like we were saying, there's the relationship and the family, the relationship between the family um, was more at the forefront of this than any kind of the scares with Pascal or Zelda. Um, it was more about death and how <laughs> family more so than any kind of, uh, you know, jump scare or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so now coming off of that, I think we've uh, probably put it off long enough let's dive into the biggest change uh that this remake brings to the table which um as i as i recall it was spoiled by the trailer um the big the big twist in here the difference that they did was that instead of little gage being hit by the truck it's ellie it's the older daughter um what's our again from what i remember i remember seeing that in the trailer uh, but then in the movie, it's kind of a misdirect. You see little Gage about to be hit by the truck, but he gets pulled out of the way. And then the load that the truck is carrying flies off and I guess r- like rams into Ellie and that's what kills her. Um, so what are, what are both your thoughts on this, uh, this switch up with, with Ellie being the one that, that gets it instead of Gage? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it was a uh, change for the better. Um, obviously, losing any kind of child is going to be horribly tragic, for sure. But when it came to Gage, I mean, he's just kind of like a blob. Like, he can barely speak. He can barely walk. Um, when he gets killed, it's like, yeah, that sucks. But you didn't really, you didn't really know Gage. Um, when we talk about Ellie getting killed by the truck, you know, she's a nine-year-old girl. You know, she just had her birthday party. Her dad just gave her that stuffed animal cat. Man, that one hit me. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but yeah, whenever you, you've seen the relationship she has with her father, you've seen the relationship she has with her mother, with Judd, um, how she interacts with Gage. So when the truck hits her and kills her, that hit me a lot more than it is than when, you know, somebody who's just been born or is only like two or three dies, you know, because you have more time to get to know this character. She's had more time to develop. You get to a sense of her personality. She has a personality. Um, whereas when Gage died, I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. But when Ellie died, I was like, ah, oh, God damn, that sucks. Yeah. Jason, what do you think? So this, uh, this is one where I'm going to say that I'm glad they made that choice to change that up. I thought it was a good choice to make. Um, not only because, uh, like Royce said, yeah, you are getting a little more uh, character development, you know, out of the character before she dies. Um, you know, I think with the original, you know, they're trying to shoot for um, more of the most traumatic thing. And like, you know, having having your baby or your toddler die is probably the most traumatic thing I could think of. I like, I mean, that's, that's just like gut wrenching, you know? Um, so I think, I think for the original, well, in, in, in the book, um, 
you know, it was the same thing. It's Gage that dies. Now, I thought it was a smart choice for the remake, um, number one, um, because they could have easily gone with Gage again, and there are plenty of opportunities for some really cheesy-ass moments and some really (laughs) cheesy-ass CGI. Yep. Like... You know what I'm saying? And and even going, like, if you go back and watch the original, there's there's still some scary shit with Cage, but there are a couple of shots in there that, like, you know, it, it's kind of got a Chucky feel to it. You so, know that it's like, yes, a, absolutely. Like, a, so real, like a little person in a suit or whatever. Yeah. So real quick, Jason, uh, Roy, I have to tell you that uh, yesterday when Jason and I were on the phone, we were talking about the original Pet Cemetery, and mm-hmm. we were laughing hysterically because whenever you think about little Gage uh, from the original, any time that that little kid like drops down on top of someone, it's so clearly like a dummy <laughs> that just limp, <laughs> like limp and stiff yeah. falls onto right. someone because they can't throw a child. So it's so clearly like a dummy or a doll being thrown on top of someone with kind of bad ADR moments over top of it. And the little, <laughs> the little yeah, like and on giggle. Top of that too. I just remember his stupid little feet running. I'm just like, <laughs> not scary. It's just like, just kick it. Yeah. Just I, kick the thing. I did miss the, uh, the ever classic. I played with mommy, daddy, and now I want to play with you. I do love that that moment, but no. So I I thought that they they avoided a lot of probably questionable things that they could have done with it, like that could have come off very cheesy if they tried to go that route. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought it was a good choice, uh, not only from just a filmmaking point of view, but um, also it was a twist up from the original, and I think it was a good I think it was a good change. Um, yeah, just to kind of freshen it up a little bit. Um, and one of the things too, that like I can say, so when this movie came out, um, my, let's see, came out 2019, right? So yep, my kids were, my kids were still really small. They were, they were like four years old. Um, maybe it just turned four. Um, but now that they're older and having watched it again, because they're kind of around like Ellie's age, um, when Ellie comes back and when Judd's or not Judd, but um, when he's interacting with his daughter, you know, at that age, that part did kind of drive home a little bit more to me just because my kids are that age now. Like, I, I just like you start flashing through your head. I'm like, what if, well, then I have an Ellie as well. So like, mm-hmm. what if Ellie came back? Like in, Especially, I think I think one of the the best scenes in the movie is when um, he's he's giving her a bath and he's trying to you know brush her hair and everything yes. and and you know he sees the back of her head and she's got the staples all down her head from where the you know did the autopsy or did the preserving on her or whatever. Yep. Um. So that that kind of drove home a little bit more for me this time because like I'm just imagining you know, like my kids at that age and, and, and what happened, what, like, like how that would affect me. Like that would drive me absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, which it, which it does. Um, and <clears throat> also one of the things, um, that I do like about Ellie too, is they, she's just got 
it's the creepiest thing ever and i don't know who thought it up but they're a genius but just that one lazy eye that's just kind of yeah. half drooping the whole time dude I yeah, never I never noticed that on my first watch when I saw this in theaters and I watched it today and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with her eye? Ugh. Yeah, it's so, like, gr- so off-putting. Like it's been detached and just hanging there pretty much, like just inside there. Yep. And, uh, yeah, like, like speaking, speaking, of, speaking of the creepy than- moments, how about when she's doing that dance in that filthy dress that she was yes. buried in? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. That- yeah, that was. Yeah, a good I gotta, I gotta give props to this, uh, this actress here. She's pretty damn good in here, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know who this actress is that plays Ellie, but man, she knows how to scare me. Well, the cool part, the cool part too, is like outside of, outside of you know him seeing the staples in the back of her head and and stuff like that. Um, just, she, I mean, she looks pretty normal except for that one fucking dead eye. <laughs> and like you're like you're like looking at her and like if it weren't for that just that fucking droopy eye like you could look at her and just be like oh she's all right yeah you know but because of that fucking drooping eye you're like don't like it well that scene uh, <laughs> that scene in the bathtub that you talked about where he sees the the staples on the back of her head probably yeah. one of the creepiest moments is the little girl ellie she does this really slow head turn while he's looking mm. at the back of her head and all yeah. of us, I don't know if it was just my TV or if it was actually intentional. It's like her voice drops, though, when she says this. She's like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's just, just a knot. Like, again, I don't know yeah. if that was just my TV, but it sounded like her voice almost became, like, demonic at that moment. And right. you're yeah, like, I, I don't I don't think that was your TV, man. I remember that, too. Yeah, so you're like, was, uh, messed up mine too. Yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, shit. That's pretty intentional, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, um, and yeah. Well, now that now that we've got Ellie coming back, so before, um, before he decides that he's going to tell take Ellie up there, you know, Judd knows that, like, you know, he's heartbroken and that he, that's what he's thinking about already, and so Judd tries to tell him, like, hey, no, 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 no don't do this, um. And so this, this I felt like was another missed moment because Judd's trying to warn him off of it. And there's an, an amazing scene where, you know, the dad and the, the kid are, you know, just in their living room or whatever. And the kid sets fire to the place and then grabs the dad and like holds him down to like keep him there to burn to death. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was a really scary, you know, piece too that, that I felt like they missed out on. Um, because it, it it does a good job of driving home that, you know, like, other than, you know, your experience with church, like, what comes back is definitely not your kid or the person that you put up there. It's, it's you know. Um, so, again, another, like, scary moment that I wish they had taken advantage of. So, Jason, just to, um, just but, to confirm real quick, because you got yeah, real. Yeah, sure. That is a. Uh... Go ahead, buddy. Oh, I was just going to say that is a great moment when they bury that guy. I think he was in his World War II uniform and he comes yeah. back. Yeah, because, again, he looks like he could be a normal person. But if I remember, he's like limping or there's something up with his face. that You can just tell there's something not right about this guy. And then he starts acting crazy and he's burning the house down. And then it's like, wow, so this is what comes out of the sour ground up there. Like, 
And I think they had a scene too, didn't they have one where uh, Judd Barry's, what was his name, Biffer? And he comes back yep. too and he's all messed up. So yep. there were a couple yep. flashback scenes if I remember. Yeah, they definitely yep. and- they definitely cut that out. They they don't dive as much into the background of the town in this one. Right. Well, that's that's a little bit of what bothers me. Not that they don't go into the background of the town, but they gloss over what the the actual pet cemetery is. Like they they show, or not the pet cemetery, you know, the 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 unholy ground above it. But they they don't really talk about it or give any kind of background on it. Like they they show Doc, you know, like looking up stuff on the computer and he saw a weird symbol etched into a tree and he sees some kind of old lore and that symbols in there. And then for some reason, there's a mention of like a Wendigal, which uh, I I didn't really understand what the Wendigal has anything to do with things coming back to life. So I want to, I want to touch on that real quick. And this is a good point to bring up before we dive into the climax of the movie and sort of bring all this home. So watching that, because I caught that line too, they talk about the Wendigo, mm-hmm. like the the spirit of the wood basically is like, you know, this creature that stalks the woods. That's what's kind of implied that that's what's making the noise and that's what haunts the ground where it's soured. At least that's what I took. So mm-hmm. in that way, because like in the original and in the book, it's just a soured Indian burial ground. You know, they stop using it, mm-hmm. the sour or the the soil became sour and that's what brings people back or animals back as evil. But in this one, and they hint at it later too, when Ellie comes back and she's talking with her mom in the climax where Ellie starts to kill all of them, uh, the Rachel's, you know, been stabbed by her and Ellie's like, aren't you happy mommy or something like that. And Rachel says, don't call me mommy. You're not my daughter. My daughter's dead. Mm-hmm. And to, it was either to Judd or to Rachel. Ellie kind of hints that she's possessed because she says, oh, it's to Judd. She says to Judd, your wife is burning in hell for what you did to her. And we're here now to bring you back with us. So I'm looking at this like, did they change the mythology then compared to the original? Because in the original, again, I just read it as soured soil and, you know, they come back evil. But in this one, it's like there's like a possession element to it or something. Well, well I always... if I'm... go ahead, Ray. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I could have sworn in the book. I remember reading something. They were talking about the Wendigo in there. Did they? I might be wrong on that one. Did they? Jason, do you remember that? I haven't read it, so. I, you know, it's it's been a very long time since I read yeah. it, but I, I do not, uh, it's possible, I don't, that's not something that sticks out to me. It's very possible okay. that they that they did, um, but that yeah. that's not something that I remember. But, like, going back to, like, what you said, Bucky, like, even even with the original, I always took it as like not like a typical like zombie thing. So they're not just like zombies that are coming back. Like yeah. they're always I always mm-hmm. took it in in both versions as like a possession type deal. There's like an evil spirit or or whatever demon or whatever you want to call it that's now inhabiting their body. Um, okay, I, I guess... didn't take it as just okay. Right. I, that's how I, I saw it too. And I mean, it could be seen as it is like the evil spirit that's in the woods. 
is okay. what soured the ground is what brings these people back. Okay. Yeah. Right. I guess, I, was... I guess that just seems kind of new to me to this version because yes, there is something in their body in the original, but in this one, it almost seems like they were really pinning it on that, on that Wendigo spirit being like mm-hmm. that specifically is what, is what soured the ground and what specifically is inside of Ellie. Right. But, and I, I think that's what they're alluding to, but, but again, it's, it's something that they kind of gloss over. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. it, if, if it is the Wendigal that's, you know, bringing them back or, you know, however that works or whatever, like, I mean, I'm not saying spend another hour of the movie talking about it or whatever, <laughs> but just like, just say something about it. Like, you know, um, cause it's just kind of thrown in there. Like he's just yeah. like searching his computer for like 30 seconds. And it's like, it's like symbol, mm-hmm. symbol, article, Wendigal. Right, done. So we've already done the background on it, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think it walks that fine line too of you don't want to give everything away and spell it out for the viewers. Like, oh, the window sure. was there, so it therefore soured the earth, and then comes back and possesses these bodies. Um, but you also don't want to leave people saying, "What the hell the, was that?" Yeah. Um, so I think it walks that fine line. Um, from where I stand, I, I was able to piece it together. You know, the Wendigo's out there. Because it's out there, that's probably what made the ground sour. That's probably what's possessing these people. I like that air mystery to it, but also, like you were saying, they, they do kind of gloss over it a little too briefly. So a little bit more explanation. Like you were saying, doesn't have to be an entire hour, but, you know, maybe a couple minutes, you know, expose yeah. on what this thing could be. Could it could have helped, you know, the direction of the viewers and like where they want to pinpoint the interest at. Yeah. Well, it confused, it confused me too, because like every, every, like, I guess classic description or, or any, you know, show slash movie or whatever that's ever dealt with the Indigo, the Wendigo, like that's not what it was like. Right. It it wasn't like possessing people and, and stuff like that. So that's why, I just felt like it was like a little messy because, and, and yeah, like you said, like, of course you can go, okay, maybe this Wendigo is a evil spirit or like whatever, but because I've seen so many different iterations of the Wendigo and it's all been kind of the same thing. I'm just like, what does the Wendigo have to do with possessing people or bringing <laughs> people back from the dead? It just kind of confused me. I was like, that, that was a weird thing to throw in there. And it, like, for me, I was just like, okay, that didn't really connect, but okay, we'll, yeah. we'll move along. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, so let's bring this on home. Um, for the most part, the climax is the is basically just like the original, um, except it's Ellie going on a killing spree. We do get mm-hmm. the ever so wonderful Achilles tendon slice <laughs> with Judd's death. There, that is never not going to bother me in a film. <laughs> and, and they uh, almost tricked. I didn't think they were going to do it at first. Because they allude to it under the bed. Yep. And then he moves the bed, and there's no one there. And then on the stairs, gets them. Ugh. Well, in this, in I think <laughs> yeah, in the original, right. they like they like slice across the tendon. In this one, it's real quick. Oh, but Ellie all. like stabs it through his tendon, like it sticks yeah. out the side of his ankle. And I'm like, oh, that's awful. The yeah, gore like, in this movie was really well done. Like, yeah, the, the, the effects yeah. were impressive. They didn't look hokey or anything. Nope. Yeah, and I, the same thing happened to me, Roy. Especially, I do remember like when I, when I was watching it for the first time. Um, exact same thing happens because there's that classic scene where Gage is under the bed and catches him in the Achilles with mm-hmm. the scalpel. 
And so like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And then it's like, nope. And I was like, oh, okay, they're not going to do it. That's just a little tidbit for the fans. But then he's going down the stairs and sure enough, catch them. Um, yep. And, yep. and yeah, it's you're right too, Bucky. Like this time it's more of a, a stab through and rip out like, so it was it was a little bit of a different like look to it and it definitely mm-hmm. I think the stab and rip <laughs> yeah. probably hurt a hell of a lot more. Yep. So um, oh, and uh, how badass was that mask Ellie was wearing that rabbit mask or whatever it was? Oh, that's I so that was really cool. I completely forgot about oh, yeah. that. And when she came out yeah. with that, that was awesome. Um. Yeah. No, she really uh, going back to that dance scene. Um, Lewis actually calls it out. Why'd you put the dress back on, which is the dress she was buried in? And uh, yeah. I don't know, man. The character design of Ellie is so creepy. I think it's yeah. awesome. She, she, I'll tell you what. I thought the little kid creepy trope was pretty played out over the past few years. But then once I saw yeah. this, it kind of brought me back like, okay, it mm-hmm. can be done well. And it was, yeah, it was refreshing for sure. Absolutely. So we've got... Uh, we got Judd, sad to see him go, uh, but he does, you know, bite it. <laughs> and then in uh, peace. and then Ellie's like, you know what? Mommy doesn't like me. I'm going to go get her. Rachel goes down, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and again, the movements of Ellie, the way she crawls across the floor and, you know, just gets thrown everywhere. But then just real like, you know, like a possession movie, like kind of whips her head real quick and crawls everywhere. Um Really well done stuff, but Rachel bites it, and of course we go back to the pet cemetery where the final battle is. It's Lewis versus uh, versus Ellie, and he leaves little Gage in the car, <laughs> which is uh, yep. I know he's in in the heat of the moment, but bad parenting. Maybe get in the car and drive away instead of uh, <laughs> instead of doing anything else. But um, so he leaves Gage in the car. I'm sure, will be fine. Yeah, so he leaves Gage in the car, and then. Uh, <laughs> You know, he starts to battle Ellie in the pet cemetery. And, uh, but Ellie has already buried Rachel in the cemetery. And so this is, this is super nitpicky. And of course, we're watching a horror movie. So we have to suspend <laughs> disbelief for, you know, for certain things. <laughs> you just got to let it go. Um, <clears throat> but of course, the original, um, uh, it's not Ellie that uh, Ellie that buries Rachel. It's her husband. Yeah, it's Lewis. Um, so yeah, it's Lewis. So seeing um, so seeing Ellie like dragging her body to go bury her like at the pet cemetery, which I, I know she's possessed or she's got a demon in her or whatever. But I'm like, how does this tiny bitch get her mom <laughs> all the way over it? all the way up over those tree branches and all the way through the water and up the staircase and everything? Like I was just like. I was like, okay, I mean, I'll let it go, but <laughs> I was just like, how the hell? Yeah, this, <laughs> but that's the, a fair point that didn't cross my mind. Yeah, the ending, <laughs> the ending does get a little bit hokey with the "I'm not just gonna kill you. I'm gonna every person I kill in the family, I'm gonna bury them in the cemetery, so we come back as like a zombie family." Right. Uh, so I don't right, know, man. Yeah. So so Lewis dies, and Lewis is buried in the cemetery. They can be a family forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all, the, all the zombie family, possessed family, descend on Little Gage in the car, uh, and we're left to wonder what happens to Little Gage. But I think we can make a guess. Uh, what's what's everybody's take on that ending as we bring it on home? Yeah, oh, I, I mean, mean I, I, I go I, ahead, Russ. 
Okay, I see what you're saying with how it got hokey of everybody burying each other. It's almost like a, like a Scooby-Doo, everybody coming out of the different doors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think it worked – I think it worked well in the ending um, whenever Gage is in the car and he's looking out and he just sees his family as all just like these undead possessed creatures. And then church to top it all off, just jumps on the hood. I thought that was a really great way to end it. And you're left with that question of, Oh, well, I mean, it's not really a question, but you know, it doesn't show, but what's going to happen to Gage? Yeah. They're probably going to kill him and bury him. And side note, Jason, before you answer, because the opening shot of the movie showed this and then they bring it back home Basically, like, the movie ends where it started. The first shot we saw was the mm-hmm. aftermath of of all of this, and we bring it back home. There, uh, is it Judd's house, I think, is on fire? Do we see yeah. Do we see how Judd's house got lit on fire in this version? Not in this one, no. Okay, because I, no. I, I thought I missed something, and all of a sudden his house was on fire. I'm like, wait, what? How? <laughs> so I thought I missed something, so it's not in there. Okay. In the last yeah. scene, I think it shows the dad with a gas can, so you kind of oh, okay, clues, that's true, that's I true. I know uh, the original; okay. it was very explicit that they burned it down. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I I, I missed that part. I didn't I didn't realize he was carrying the gas can at the end. Mm-hmm. But um, I was I was like you, Bucky. It, like at first, you see like the house burning, and then it, it comes full circle, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a second, how that? Why? Well, and and even at that point, I mean. I don't know. Is the dad trying to cover up the judge dead or like, what's the point of setting judge house on fire? Or like, I mean, <laughs> just you come back as a pyromaniac. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like what? Yeah. Okay. I'm, like, I'm trying to think back to the original in the book. I think he just burned it down. Yeah. Probably just to cover up judge's body. That's the only conclusion I can make. Yeah. Well, I guess. In, in the original, uh, in the original, he, he kills, gauge in judd's house and then mm-hmm. i i do believe they show him like screwing the gas all over the place and setting it on fire um i definitely remember I'm, him setting on fire yeah 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 and and so for for me that's like okay he's he's trying to make sure gauge ain't coming back like you okay. know like he, you know what i'm saying like he's, he's yeah. making sure that everything's final yeah, um, yeah. but then yeah, again, for some reason but For then again, reason, he's going to go put his fucking wife up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jason, what's your what's your thoughts on the ending? Like I said, it's a little bit hokey for me, but overall, I do like the creepiness of it. Um, I do, I, I do kind of like. Um, and and again, you know, keep coming back to the original. <laughs> I kind of like how the original ends. Um, you know, with you know, he's gotten rid of Gage, and then um, one one point that. I thought that the original like touched on that they, they don't really touch on with this, but I guess they, I guess they twisted a little bit because like in the original, like, um, you know, he takes Rachel up there to barrier and you're like, dude, like you just saw what happened with Gage, but like, he's so grief stricken that he's like, he's like, no, it'll be different this time. It'll be different this time. And like, he's convincing himself like, no, 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 no. Like it'll, it'll be different. Um, so they didn't really play on that in the new one, but um, also it's, you know, Ellie and Rachel that are burying. So it, it makes sense that Ellie has taken her mom up there to bury her because she's already possessed or she's already, you know, whatever, undead. Um, so, I mean, that aspect of it makes sense. But 
I thought that that was a cool part of the original is, is just, you know, him constantly going, no, nah, it's going to be different this time. It'll be okay this time. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then of course, and, and then of course, uh, especially the end of the original with the mom walking in the door and he's like all excited, even though like half of her fucking face is gone. Like <laughs> she's like, it, oh, and there's, Oh, that, uh, that scene right there at the end before it cuts to black, you know, he's like hugging her and then um, she's got all this shit dripping down her face and pussing everywhere. <laughs> and then he kisses her and you're like, Oh, like, <laughs> nasty. Um, yeah, that's nasty shit, man. Um, but then, um, you know, it kind of cuts to black. You see her like raising the knife up, as, you know, mm-hmm. to kill him. But yep, and you hear um, him. You hear him scream too. Yeah, right, oh, right, right. Yeah, and too yeah, about I, the original ending. What about that badass Ramones song for the credits, dude? I love that song. Oh, we're oh, gonna, yeah. we're oh, gonna, yeah. we're gonna touch on it. Love the, okay. uh, love the original, the original Pet that. Cemetery song from from the '89 version. That's one of my favorite songs. Oh, so good. But um, no, but so, I mean, this ending, I thought it was, uh, you know, it, it gets a little wonky towards the last couple of kills and stuff like that. But um, I just think the image of them walking, you know, the family walking together, you know, up to the car and, you know, you're seeing the fire in the background. And I thought it was cool from a from a visual standpoint. And and then, of course you know you're sitting there you're worried about like what are they going to do with gauge and again of course we know what they're going to do with gauge um but they do even um they do even say uh he tells gauge when he puts him in the car he says don't even he's like don't open the door for anyone even if it's mommy but he doesn't say anything about himself so definitely Mm -hmm. when he's walking up there that's going to give gauge the sense that okay daddy's back and and it's okay now yeah, and if you remember too, when it cuts to black, you hear like the the chirp, chirp of the car, so you know like they're getting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, well, you know, I didn't even pick up on that. Does it? Does it make it a little? It does. Chirp? That's what makes it cut mm-hmm. to black at the end. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't notice that, but <laughs> that's okay. That's interesting too. But yeah, so that's our so that's our movie. That's our Pet Cemetery remake. Um enjoyable watch i think for all of us i'm sure we all have our you know little picks with it but um roy great pick man this was a fun uh fun discussion there's two little things i want to point out uh real quick before we end the movie discussion uh the reason i said we'll circle back to the pet cemetery song is because (laughs) it's here in the credits but it's a different version and man did i hate this version of the song at the end <laughs> i don't know who it is that did this cover but ooh, this was bad yeah, yeah you mentioned just... that you mentioned that last night and i was like i was like i wonder if bucky's gonna look it up and see who did that cover because he hated it but no um, I, no i don't need to yeah, know that, i did uh... i don't need to know i did not like this version of the song i thought it was terrible <laughs> heard enough <laughs> yeah to the point that when I saw this in theaters, I didn't even realize it was the same song. <laughs> so, oh really? Yeah. See, I I got it, but it's just like, man, you go from having the Ramones do it to you know whoever. So like, man, just use the original song. It's yeah, so it's good. like this. It's like this weird pop version in it with a with a kind of whiny voice mm-hmm. in it. No disrespect to the artist that did it. I just do not like this cover at all. Um, right. Yeah, I'm that, just gonna I'm just gonna say it was Jamie Lynn Spears, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Fair enough. 
<laughs> and, you can remake uh, the movie, but you can't remake the song. Yep. So then uh, the last thing I wanted to point out was something I noticed, just little little Easter eggs in there from other Stephen King works that pop up throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, one I noticed yep, in theaters. Yep. Two of them I did not. I'm sure we all noticed the dairy uh, sign. I, yeah, oh, yeah, I was going to say that's, that's one that I definitely picked out. The other two that mm-hmm. I saw were... I got that one too when they're on the highway. Yep. The other two that I saw is someone at Ellie's birthday party very loudly mentioned something about a St. Bernard. I heard that too. Yep. <laughs> and uh, I didn't yeah. hear it until this time, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did hear that, yep, yep. And then lastly, I think it's in Rachel's parents' house. Uh, and I think it's a picture of her and Zelda. They are very clearly dressed like the Shining Twins uh, on the photo on the wall. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. yep. So uh, yep. I thought I thought those were a little fun, little fun Easter eggs in there. Yeah, for sure. But uh, well, I'll tell you what. Like, if 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 anyone's a Stephen King fan, since we're talking about Stephen King, um, and you like finding like little tidbits of all of his work mixed in. Um, if, if you have not watched the show Castle Rock, I knew that's um, what you were going to say. <laughs> Castle Rock is a plethora. I mean, it's like every five seconds, like they're mentioning something from it, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, mm. um, you know, just, uh, misery. Like, I mean, every freaking Stephen book that you can think of, like they reference, um, which I think is really funny too, because uh, Bill Skarsgård is the the villain in the first season of Castle Rock, and of course he played Pennywise. But mm-hmm. yep. yeah, Stephen King shared universe theory. It's like the Pixar theory. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, we can get way off topic on that. Stuff. Right, we'll do a whole episode on <laughs> yeah, that. Oh yeah, we'll have you back. We'll do a whole episode on that. But uh, that's that's the Pet Cemetery remake. Uh, Roy, it has been a pleasure having you on, man. Thank you for picking the movie. Thank you for talking with us about your writing and uh, just being an awesome guest, man. Happy to call you a friend of the show. Hey, Jason, Kevin, thank you guys so much. It was awesome being on. Um, look forward to hearing more of you guys' podcasts. I've been listening to him the uh, week leading up, trying to get caught up. I'm going to keep on listening. Um, and thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, man. Anytime, buddy. Cool, man. Keep those listens up. We need as many as we can get. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll be sure to uh, subscribe and listen to them all. Absolutely. Love it. We well, appreciate- I mean, everybody knows we're bigger than Joe Rogan at this point, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> if not, you're neck and neck. <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. But um, anyway, uh, last thing. Uh, so Roy, your your uh, your author name that you go by on your books is R. Jacob Honeybrook. Where can people find uh, your work? Where can we find you know paper copies or digital copies? Where can we find your social media? Uh, tell tell yeah. tell our people about your work and where to find you. Sure. Well, uh, right now I do pretty much all my work based out of Instagram. I used to have a website, but then I realized I wasn't using it. Nobody else was going to it, so I just kind of got, got rid of that. So I do all my work out of Instagram. It's author underscore Honeybrook. And there you can find links to my author page on Amazon. There you're going to find all my books. So I have two novelettes, one short story out, um, more to come. And uh, check it out. That's awesome. If not, you know, I've had bad taste at times too. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, That's one of our one of our favorite things on this show is you know what? It's okay to be wrong. 
right? Yeah, it's perfectly fine. Just as long as you enjoy it. <laughs> but you'll but you'll be the furthest thing from wrong if you say that uh, you don't like Roy's work. So uh, everybody, go go, uh, go check out Roy on social media. Go purchase his work and uh, tell him how awesome he is. And uh, Roy, thank you again for joining us, man. We would gladly have you back any day to talk any movie of your choice. And uh, let's get back together after uh, Jason and I have have gone through your work. I'd love to do a deep dive on your on your writing in there and really dive into the stories you've done. Yeah, man, yeah. that'd be fun. Awesome. Yeah, I would love that. Just uh, just be careful. It's a scary place up here. So, <laughs> amen to that, brother. But. Uh, Thank you, everybody that's uh, listening to this uh, for listening to the Midnight Terrors podcast. Uh, Jason, we got more guests coming up. We got a lot of fun movie picks coming up. Uh, big things for Midnight Terrors, huh? Yeah, man, I'm excited. I have I have one particular, well, I should say guests, plural, um, that I'm really stoked about, but we'll keep that under wraps for now. Um, but hopefully that one should be soon. Yeah, man. So uh, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, get in touch with us, all social media, Facebook and Instagram, Midnight Terrors Podcast. You can find us under that. Uh, shoot us an email at midnightterrorspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, let us know what you want to hear us talk about on the show. Hit us up if you want to come on the show. We'll gladly talk to you and uh, shoot the shit about horror. And, uh, you know, I don't say this enough when we when we do the episodes, but... If you feel so compelled, you know, feel free to leave us a review on uh, on Apple or wherever you get your listens of us in. Um, that definitely helps us out. And we always want to hear feedback on what you guys think of the show. So uh, definitely, if you feel so inclined, leave us a review and let us know your thoughts on the show. But that's it for this week. This is a Midnight Terrors podcast. Jason, how do we say this? It's the Midnight Terrors podcast. <laughs> yes, different delivery every week. I love it. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Midnight Terrors podcast. We'll be back next Sunday with more uh, horror talk. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace.